Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. I found out about the fire at Notre Dame the way we find out about tragedies these days. Someone texted me a link, and I went and looked it up. And it was a surreal moment because as this was happening, I had a job to do that evening to go to St. Joseph's Cathedral here in Sioux Falls and read the scripture readings for part of the uh, Dakota String Quartet's performance of Haydn's Seven Last Words of Christ on the Cross. And so it was this strange moment where a great beauty was being removed from the world, and I found myself getting to witness a, a small beauty being enacted almost uh, in compensation. By now, of course, it's Friday, and that moment on Monday has been endlessly interpreted. We've seen photographs, we've read articles, opinions, this way and that way about the significance of the event, but back then it was still happening, and it was this uninterpreted experience. It wasn't something to be thinking about, it was more something to be feeling about, and it added... um, It added meaning to the task that uh, I had before me. It was a challenging one because my role in the performance was basically to read scripture, which I'm willing to do anywhere, at any time, anywhere that I'm invited. But that's all I had to do. In between the intervals uh, of Haydn's music, he'd composed a sonata for each of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. We've heard some of those sayings by following John's gospel, but to get all of them, to get the the whole set of seven, you have to look at the entire gospel account. And I read the sayings that each sonata was meant to reflect upon and meditate upon. Whenever I read scripture here at church, I try to do it uh, in the most unpretentious way that I can. That's not saying much because it's hard for me to do anything unpretentiously, but I try really hard to just read the way you would read. But, but when you find yourself in a, a moment like that with professional musicians depending on you to do a good job and, and you're uh, commissioned to do the reading, there's some anxiety that comes along with getting it right, especially when the way that you read it might influence the way that the words are understood. Of all of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, the one that I found I was most concerned about was one that that we just read a moment ago. It was Jesus' words, it is finished, in John 19, verse 30. It is finished. Because it seems to me that that's a saying that is really easy to misinterpret. Even in context, even hearing The rest of the story of the crucifixion, I think it's a saying that we could easily confuse. It can be said in so many different ways, and I tried out a few of them. Only three words, but it can be, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Nothing, no attempt that I made really seemed to capture what Jesus was really saying. If anything, the more I tried, the more theatrical I felt the more distance I felt that, that, that I had between what had really happened. So I started looking at, at how other people had interpreted this. Now, with this Haydn piece, there's this tradition of performance where 
Different people are invited to read different texts. Um, Poets have even composed poems around each sonata that incorporate these sayings. With this particular saying, it is finished, here's how the Canadian poet Mark Strand dealt with that, this stanza that he was inspired to write based on that saying. It is finished, he said. You could hear him say it. The words almost a whisper, then not even that, but an echo so faint it seemed no longer to come from him, but from elsewhere. This was his moment, his final moment. It is finished, he said, into the vastness that led to an even greater vastness, and yet all of it within him. He contained it all. That was the miracle, to be both large and small in the same instant, to be like us, but more so, then finally to give up the ghost, which is what happened. And from the storm that swirled, a formal nakedness took shape. The truth of disguise and the mask of belief were joined forever. As I read that, there are some beautiful things that he's inspired to say based on Jesus' words, especially related to Christ's incarnation. Felt like I could meditate on those words and and learn things. And, And I did that, and I listened to John Taverner's The the Protecting Veil in the background as I did it, and and I felt very moved by it. Goosebumps. And yet, I don't think Strand quite comes to it. I don't think he quite gets as far as what Jesus is actually saying, what he means when he says, it is finished. He gets us closer, perhaps, but not there yet. The words that are translated here, it is finished, in Greek, this phrase is just a single word, tetelestai, tetelestai. It's only used twice in the New Testament in this form, and the other usage is just two verses earlier, John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, tetelestai, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Interestingly, the word that's translated in our English translation to fulfill is closely related to it is finished. To telestai is it is finished, and teleothe is fulfilled. So you can see that in finishing, there's a hint perhaps of this idea of fulfillment. To finish in the sense of to accomplish. In fact, that's how the theologian F.F. Bruce translates Christ's words. Not it is finished but it is accomplished. It is fulfilled. Bruce writes that in John 17, 4, the son could say to the father in anticipation, I have fulfilled the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, no longer in anticipation, but in the consummating moment of his death, he declares this work to be finished. The work is finished. When Jesus says it is finished, speaking of the work that he came to do. That helps. That gets us nearer. But then the question remains, what is the work that Jesus came to do? What was Jesus here for? What was he doing specifically on the cross? What was the work that Jesus finished on the cross where he died? The work that Jesus finished on the cross was the work of atonement. 
the work of atonement. Atonement is a word that you'll find all over the Old Testament. Sacrifices were offered up. Sacrifices were made to atone for the sins of the people, to cover them with the shed blood of a sacrifice. In the New Testament, the word that's used to convey this idea is propitiation, sometimes translated atoning sacrifice, to get to the same idea. Paul in Romans 3.25 says, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. The atoning work on the cross, the shedding of his blood, was an atoning sacrifice. The reason that Jesus became one of us, the reason that Jesus was incarnate, was according to the author of Hebrews, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That Jesus came as one of us, as our high priest, and offered himself up on the cross as a sacrifice to make atonement for our sin. John says in 1 John 4, that this is how we can know God's love. God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If ever you doubt the love of God for you, all you have to do is look at the work that Jesus finished on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. Here at Grace, ever since the first Sunday in February, we've been working through the book of Romans. And starting with Romans 1.18, we've been working through Paul's doctrine of sin. We've been doing that for 10 weeks. And people are tired of hearing about their sin. Only a few honest souls will admit how tired they are of hearing about their sin, but we'd all like this to be over. And the question is, why? Why endure so much? Ten weeks on this subject, although, let's be honest, we could have spent much more than that. Because we've done this, though, because we've looked at what Paul says about our sin, we've looked at it honestly and clearly for a long time. Whenever you ask yourself, why was Jesus on the cross? Whenever you ask yourself, why was that necessary? Why did the work that he finished on the cross have to be done in the first place? Your answer is in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Your answer is your sin. That is why he had to do the work that he did. Look at yourself, and you will find the answer. Or, in the words of the song, it was my sin that held him there. It was my sin that held him there. Stuart Townend wrote the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. In the stanza where you find those words, I think Townend actually does a better job than Strand does of capturing the meaning of Christ's words on the cross, what really happened when Jesus said to Telestai. Townend writes, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I know that it is finished. All the work that need be done in order to cover my sin 
was finished by Christ on the cross, which was completely lost on the eyewitnesses to the event. The people who saw it happen, the people who witnessed the crucifixion, they didn't get it. If it's easy for us 2,000 years later to hear words like, it is finished, and think Jesus was saying something like, I'm done, I've had enough, I've suffered too much, I'm going to die now, it is finished, my life is over. We think that's what he's saying? They probably thought something similar at the moment as well. They saw it in just the same way. The eyewitnesses, his own generation, the people who should have seen because they had heard him tell them what he must do. They should have known, but they didn't. But of course, that too was according to Scripture. That too had to be that way in order to fulfill the words of Isaiah. You find in Isaiah 53.8. He says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Who even considered it? He was cut off. He was stricken for our transgressions. We didn't even consider it. Weren't even paying attention to what he'd done. The novelist Henry James wrote a wonderful book on uh, fiction called The Art of Fiction. And I read this over and over again because I wanted to be like the second Henry James. That didn't actually work out. But uh, I did learn something. I did retain something. There was a, a piece of advice that James gave, and it's always haunted me. It's always made me think. His advice to the one who wanted to follow after him, his advice to someone who wanted to write the way that he had written was this. He said, try to be one of those on whom nothing is lost. Try to be one of those on whom nothing is lost. No subtlety, no detail, no expression of the face, no human emotion, no, no deep psychological motivation. Let none of it be lost on you. No experience, nothing you see or hear, no utterance. Let none of it be lost on you. Let all of it have an impact. Let all of it mean something to you. And I carried those words around with me mainly to, to, to flog myself because I was one on whom so much was lost. Inevitably, we all are. You can't change that entirely. But as we meditate on the cross of Christ this evening, let that not be lost on us. Let us not be people who don't consider why he was struck down, why he was cut off. Let us remember it was our sin that held him there. It was our sin. It was for our sin that he died. As traumatic as that is, as convicting as that is, in the words of the song we sang earlier, to realize our treason led to his death. Isn't it also liberating as well to know that Christ endured the suffering of the cross so that our sin could be covered completely. And that the work of doing that, the work of atonement, 
was finished in its entirety on that day. Jesus didn't give up the ghost. Jesus did not commend his spirit to the Father until he had accomplished the work of your salvation. He did not leave the work undone. He left nothing behind for you to do in his stead. The horror of the realization that it was our sin that held him there, as we meditate upon it, should give way to the glory of the fact that it was our sin that held him there. He stayed there. He lowered himself. He submitted to the nails. He submitted to the humiliation, the death, the nakedness and the pain for our sin. For our sake, he held himself there. Let us not lose sight of that. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.